Welcome to this episode of Lead Sex, where we go over the current trends that will impact society the next decade. Today we are going to discuss cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Everyone is speaking about Bitcoin and Ethereum going up, going down, but it's so much more than that. This technology is starting to have a massive impact, but most people still haven't understood what's behind it. Our guest today is serial fintech entrepreneur Marcus Amitz, or Max as he is known. He has led many companies from early-stage startups to global leaders. Maxco founded Centrifuge with a mission to create an operating system for global commerce in order to fundamentally change how business transacts and collaborate. Max is a co-founder of Talio in San Francisco, where he spent 12 years. He has transformed the company from an idea in 2009 to the market-leading financial supply chain company. Prior to co-founding Talia, Max was a founding member of Ebidos, where he was instrumental in the conception and development of the invoice cockpit, which were eventually sold to Reedsoft in 2006. Max began his fintech career working for SAP, developing and deploying payment and banking solutions in the SAP financial markets. Max also serves as an active angel investor and mentor to various startups. Apart from that, he's a very versatile person who consults early-stage startups and has his own travel blog. I'm David Bernardo, and I'll be joined today by our student interviewer, Renat Karimov. We hope you enjoy it. Max, thank you so much for, for being with us. Renat, thank you so much for being our student interviewer as well today. Max, I would love to know a little bit. You have such an amazing background. I was seeing like news and articles and interviews from Wharton, Wired Magazine, TechCrunch, all basic like the basic pillars, if you want, of communication in, uh, in the whole tech industry. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you arrived to crypto and to blockchain. Yeah, yeah, happy to do so. So I spared at the very beginnings. So I come, obviously, you hear my beautiful German accent. Uh, that's where my career started. And back in the days, the only employer in Germany that uh, was somewhat in software was SAP. So that's why I started my career. And I started it in enterprise software and specifically in accounts payable. And that actually is the theme of the payments accounts payable. That's where I actually ended up now. So uh, I had a few startups in that space uh, in the beginning of the 2000s, moved to San Francisco, sold my first company uh, in this accounts payable space, uh, created a company in the supplier financing space with the same founders, uh, a company by the name of Taulia, still very active. And Taulia is about supplier financing. It's about helping small, medium businesses or businesses of any size to get their money earlier, not to wait 60, 90 days, but to get their money earlier. Is it what you usually call factoring? It is. It is, but with a twist. Actually, what we did is called reverse factoring. It's the smarter way of factoring. Let me explain it. It's quite important, actually, and a good question. Factoring is more, you look at a supplier or the company, and then you finance the invoices, but the risk is with this company. If it's Jack the Plumber, a small, medium business, it's pretty high risk. We don't know anything about that company to finance the invoice. So pretty expensive. Reverse factoring turns that around. You actually look at the customer of Jack the Plumber. You actually look at Home Depot or Vodafone, wherever the big customer is, and then the risk is with the big client because you collect the money from the big client instead of the small medium business. So that's what we kind of pioneered as a fintech is this reverse factoring model. And we finance uh, many million suppliers over the last 10, 12 years now. So that's Taulia, again, headquartered San Francisco, but with uh, customers all over the world. I left Taulia then in... Uh, 2017, roughly, went back to Europe from San Francisco and decided to uh, to come to Spain. That's where I'm right now. And but in parallel with my co-founders, the same co-founders uh, that I founded two companies before, we created a crypto company or a blockchain-based company in Berlin called Centrifuge. And Centrifuge actually want to take that concept of supplier financing to the next level because it was still limited what we did at Taulia. So we want to take it to a more open network that everybody could finance. Well, initially we thought about their invoices. Um, and what happened over the last four-ish years with the Centrifuges that it became actually more than just financing invoices, but more Centrifuges now the, the standard, I would say, real-world asset company on Ethereum or in general in the crypto field. So we take real-world assets, invoices, purchase orders, inventory, mortgages, uh, anything you can come up with in the real world, we tokenize it, we create a non-fungible token out of those assets, put them on chain, and allow several ways of financing against that. That's what Centrifuge does quite successfully. 
Um, we launched our token about six months ago. And uh, yeah, going going strong. And uh, I hope a lot of good things will happen with Centric. Can you call it a marketplace? I mean, it's a protocol. It's, yeah. it's an it's a Ethereum-based protocol. Uh, actually, it was Ethereum-based. Now we're actually hybriding between Polkadot and Ethereum. I don't want to get too technical, but it's it's two L1 blockchains that we kind of live on. Uh, but I wouldn't call it a marketplace because a marketplace kind of, for me at least, has this historical definition of there is still the middleman, the marketplace itself, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Uh, connects buyers and suppliers. And that's what centrifuge or crypto in general tries to get rid of or avoid to have those, those, those single point of failures, those rent seekers in the middle. Um, so yeah, that's centrifuge. And we finance many millions of dollars on different assets actually on chain, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Maybe on my history, then I left centrifuge as a CEO in 2000, end of 2019, had a short visit back into traditional finance, which, well, was eye-opening because it was pretty horrible to see how bad traditional finance is. The good thing is I was able to build something which was a I passionate about for a while, is a product called Earned, which is an on-demand pay product, an early wage success product, so that employees could accelerate their payroll uh, on any day of the week. A company called Earned, and you build it within this thing I joined, uh, but I left office, and now for the last six months, I'm back in crypto advising a couple of startups and, and investing in others. Um, but yeah, crypto is, I think, where I want to spend the rest of my career. Perfect. And and I think you, you mentioned like very different things. One, uh, when Renat and uh, the team uh, proposed your name, one of the things I really liked was, okay, here is someone that is just not going to talk about crypto as let's invest in this, let's invest in that, and let's make a quick buck. It's someone that is thinking for the long term and and how it is impacting society and how it is impacting basically our everyday life. So I think maybe we can go on two areas. I think a lot of people are curious now, like we've been seeing like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Polka, like everything sure. going up, down, like a roller coaster. So maybe we can go first a little bit on your take on what's happening in the markets and then maybe go a little bit more into how is society and how is the future of crypto and how is all the ecosystem going to change in your opinion. So maybe starting yeah. with the markets, how do you see the markets? Where are we now? Like, what's the big picture for you? Some people say we're in a bubble. I don't know whether we're in a bubble. We might, it's a pretty heated market. We all can agree on that, right? I definitely think we reached a tipping point over the last 12, 18 months, like size-wise, wallet-wise, engagement-wise. And it started last summer for me. I think it started last summer with decentralized finance, DeFi becoming a real thing. We were preaching decentralized finance for almost four years with Centrifuge and, and many others. And last summer, it finally became somewhat mainstream. I mean, companies like, like Aave for lending, Compound, they all popped up, Maker as a decentralized bank. And we had what, what was called last summer, not this summer, but the, the summer or COVID summer in 2020 was called DeFi summer. And I think there was one, one spark, one driver. Around the same time as well, uh, um, well, let's be fair, people spent more time at home. That uh, helped for many tech initiatives for crypto. There was an accelerator as well, I'm pretty sure. Um, institutional money is starting to flow. We waited for that for a while. Institutional money is coming in. And then I think one of the, the, the main drivers beginning of the year uh, were non-fungible tokens, those NFTs that many people just at the beginning and still see as a little, yeah, like what, what are those JPEGs? But Actually, they did an amazing thing to bring crypto, the connection between crypto and the art world, the collector world. It, it brought crypto actually closer to people, more relatable. And I think it's an accelerator. The more people come into that space, they do something with their non-fungible tokens. Now they have a, a MetaMask account or they have an address, a wallet, and now they do other things in crypto. So I think that is what happened. We have a critical mass. We reached a critical mass, a tipping point. Still way to go, still early. But I think that's what we saw and, uh, from, a, from a market perspective. And then Bitcoin and Ethereum and all, all the, the L1, or the, yeah, the, the major blockchains just went, went ahead because they support that movement. So, Max, so you think it's still a good point to enter the market? It's like you don't think it's overheated and basically like a little bit like if you go into like the big stock indexes, like if you went into the Nasdaq at any point in the last... 50 years, even if it was on the biggest crash. Exactly. The day before the biggest crash, you'd still be up like thousands. I see it somewhat similar, David, uh, uh, in, in crypto. Will there be a correction? There will be a correction in the stock market and there will be a correction in crypto. So everybody asks me, is it a good time? We're so early still in crypto. So yes, it is still a good time. 
but it's not a good time to get in if you want to get out in the next six months or three months or 12 months. I don't know when the market will correct, but if there will be something. If you have a few thousand bucks and you just look for something for three or six months, I don't think crypto is like, if you're a little bit conservative, crypto is not for you. If you have a horizon of five years, I think it's the most amazing thing you can do. Again, I think we have to disclaimer that nothing here is investment advice. But my personal belief is we build here the infrastructure of a future financial system and a future internet. And uh, this will take five or 10 years, but getting in now, we're super early. I so 100% it's a, convinced. Yeah, about it's that. about the timing the market more than timing the market. I've, I've tried it. Right. I stopped trying like predict anything. I just buy whatever I think it's going to be up five years from now and, uh, exactly. and, and stay there. Okay, perfect. So this being said, which I'm sure a lot of people are like, where can I put my money? Is it safe or not? Let's go a little bit uh, into the other area. What's the future? Renat, I know you have some questions about it. Yeah, let's move to our thoughts about the future. Like As you have mentioned before, this DeFi thing and stuff, uh, everything like changing in traditional industries. What are your thoughts actually about these new things happening with the blockchain, how it will affect our life and how it will affect like the way the company... And the first thing I'd say, I think crypto is successful at this point when nobody realizes that they use crypto. That is quite important. So right now it's pretty complicated still to buy coins, to move money somewhere, to invest. It's not there yet. It's not the UI, not the user experience that you wish, but we're working on it. And the coming years will bring you a user experience that you just don't realize that you, that you use crypto. You just send a payment. It's incredibly fast and it's incredibly cheap. It's almost instant uh, if you pay something. And in the back end, you use crypto as one example. Or you go somewhere and buy a fraction of a, of a piece of art or a house, which is today not possible because it's way too expensive. You can do that from any country in the world in the future. And in the back end, it's really running on, on a blockchain through smart contracts. And then you fractionalize, uh, what do I know, NFTs that represent that piece of art that I just described. But you don't realize it anymore. I think that's what we will see in the years to come, that... Uh, Blockchain crypto is just it's just the piping in the back end. So and today we see some of it already. I mean, look, we all, we dismiss always a little bit the payments case of crypto. Payments is still incredibly unsolved in the real world, in the traditional traditional finance world. Yes, we in Europe are a little bit spoiled because it kind of works uh, for the last few years with SEPA payments, but that's just us here. As soon as you want to send something across the border, we're screwed. As soon as you go to the US, I mean, David, you're close right now. I mean, the, the payment system in the in the in, in the US is is a is, is a joke. It will take many many years. And so, getting a wire transfer still, is insane. Like uh, getting and and also like I've been looking a lot at like transfers cross border from Mexico because it's one of the the largest contributors to the GDP, and it's still like it's so expensive, and you're basically like overcharging dramatically the base of the pyramid. So actually the people yeah. that are on the base of the pyramid, when they go like to Western Union or all these things, they are just paying like massive commissions and it's not practical, it's not safe. It's just uh, it's just an insane system. Even like right. even getting like uh, wire transfers from the US to other countries and all the codes and everything, the user experience, I would, it's it's definitely not, not what you'd expect. Yeah, I mean, and top on that one, I mean, there's the, the time it takes, it's expensive. And I go back to this middleman thing that I described before, and I'm really passionate about that. A bank decides what money I can move. Like, just because. I, I mean, I move money that maybe I, I sold some tokens somewhere, and I want to move money from one bank account to another. Bank might come and block that because they're not supporting a, a transaction that is the result out of a crypto transfer. Or... Cannabis in the United States, hate it or love it, don't care about it, whether you're a supporter of it, but it's legal, but you cannot open a bank account. It's very hard. So there's so many areas where banks or financial institutions just make it incredibly miserable to move money from A to B, cost, time, and being selective or randomly selective. So I think there's a huge opportunity. And look, again, I come from the payment world. So that's my, my, my world for the last 20 years. So one thing I learned, I think I learned is, that's what it's all about. I mean, we can talk about software in the supply chain and HR software and marketing. It's all great. But at the end of the day, what a business cares about is exactly one thing, is getting 
paid. That's really what 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 the world is hate it or love it again. Uh, that's what our capitalistic world is about: getting paid, and that doesn't work yet. It just doesn't work yet. So I think there's a huge opportunity to fix that, and it's got to be with crypto, and it will be with crypto. Can you explain us just the concept of DeFi for our audience? In terms like, yeah. uh, what is DeFi? I think that's something because people listen to a lot of jargon and yeah. then they don't know what's DeFi. Yeah, I'm not sure I have the official definition here, but for me, DeFi stands for decentralized finance as opposed to traditional finance or centralized finance. CeFi, TradFi, where there is someone in the middle, a bank or a marketplace or a fintech. This is centralized finance. You've got to trust someone that does something for you And they typically charge something, a fee, a rent to do it. A bank charges a commission. We just talked about the, the, the wires. They charge me 50 or 80 bucks. But that's, that's centralized finance, traditional finance. Decentralized finance is that is a collection of blockchain protocols, crypto protocols that enable certain financial business cases for you. You want to send money. You want to invest in something. You want to lend. You want to borrow This is all, there's protocols for that and they all play together. They can all play together in a decentralized manner. So there is nobody in the middle that can tell me whether I can do something or not. So it's up to me to sign up for something, to have some tokens, to buy some tokens and invest them in a certain pool. And it's, it's really just finance regulated by smart contracts. And smart contracts is a little bit of a misnomer uh, by code. I'm sorry, yeah. like smart contracts. Can you also yeah. explain what are smart contracts? I find it one of the most fascinating things that you can do in blockchain. Can, but uh, people throw it left and right. Can you give us like your definition of smart yeah. contract? I mean, look, for me, the, for me, the most important piece is that I don't like the word smart contract. The definition of smart is relative and contract sounds a little bit legal. What is a smart contract? A smart contract is a piece of code. It's nothing else than a piece of code that looks very much like JavaScript or whatever. There's different languages you can create your, your smart contract, but it's nothing else than code that is deployed on a blockchain, that is living on a blockchain, and is then autonomously executed. You can call that code and it does something that is like converting a token into another token or taking a token from me and giving me interest in return if I do something for it. But this code describes what the smart contract describes what this protocol is doing. That's, that's what a smart contract is. But whether it's smart yeah. or not, is like a little bit in the Where do you feed the information from? But you still need to have the information because like one example that people uh, say is like, if there's a delay from uh, an airplane or you lose your luggage, like an insurance company, yeah. for instance, could pay you directly. Where would you get that information from? From yeah. another database, so, another system? So there's, that's a good question. So, In a perfect world, in a perfect world, everything would be on blockchain, like everything. So smart contracts, those pieces of code talk to each other. And on blockchain, it would be the information would be on blockchain whether a plane is delayed. And with that, uh, a trigger can be done in a smart contract and the payment of the insurance can be made. But the reality is not everything is on blockchain. So the, the fact how the weather is or the fact whether the stock price of Tesla is X or whether a plane is delayed is in the real world. And there's a couple of ways of doing it. I think the most relevant one are so-called oracles. Those oracles are pieces yeah, of software, again, that are bridging the blockchain world with the traditional world and get that information in a more or less decentralized manner into the blockchain. So the smart contract knows that the plane is delayed. The smart contract knows that the sun is rising. The smart contract knows X, Y, Z. Okay, perfect. Um, Thank you. It's, it's really important to have these concepts cleared up because a lot of people throw them around and nobody really understands what they are. So thank you so much for the explanation. Renat? Yeah, and uh, it's interesting about the defined smart, smart contract things uh, around us. You mentioned payments and you mentioned that everything can switch to DeFi and the payments can be made internationally and all the things. But currently uh, we are seeing that some, Google, uh, some big economies Uh, actually restrict doing payments with crypto, for example, to a China case. Uh, what are your thoughts on future regulations uh, of the crypto payments? Uh, let's let's uh, talk about the payments right now. What can be done in the future by like big economies? Uh, will, be, will we actually be allowed to transfer money, for example, from, I'm from Russia, from Russia to US directly without any banks, like central banks, knowing about it? 
or is it going to be somehow regulated? Uh, look, I mean, we, we all know, for maybe for, for the listeners, I mean, there's a big debate right now in, uh, uh, there's a big debate right now in the US whether this, this infrastructure bill has some crypto regulation added, tax implica- the, the, the tax implication-wise. And the truth is, like everybody in crypto, not everybody, but most people in crypto, I guess, would appreciate clearer regulations, clearer regulations on what is possible, what is taxed, what is not possible, but we don't have them right now. But they will come. And what I foresee is that you tax actually the, or tax and regulate the areas of where you come from the real world into the into the blockchain world, into the crypto world, where there is an exchange of sorts from fiat into crypto. That's from a tax and from a regulatory perspective, I think that's that's one of the most important things to do. I would appreciate if, if, if stable coins would be regulated. So that would actually bring more confidence to stable coins. So we have this, this dilemma with certain stable coins like USDT, Tether, where it's not sure whether they're really backed by, by the collateral that they say they are, are backed. So having some regulation for stable coins, for asset-backed stable coins, so that consumers can rely and trust those stable coins, they can use US dollar on blockchain, would, I would appreciate. So I think, uh, Renat, to answer your question, there will be ups and downs. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a superior system, crypto. And in the next five to 10 years, it will, with the right regulations, it will augment and eventually replace the traditional finance system to traditional payment rates. That's my firm belief. With the big fight from yeah. the governments, because the governments are definitely not looking for less control. We are seeing like the China cracking down on everything crypto now that, as we've been seeing, um, and the US a little bit as well. Like, But at this point, is it already big enough that it's too big to be killed? I think so. It's a look. Institutions get in. It's a two trillion market. Uh, Bitcoin alone just hit the last few days a trillion again in market cap. It's it's too big to shut it down. China has some advantage. It's a horrible advantage, but China can do those things. Uh, the, the firewall, the Great Wall that they have, and generally speaking, um, that they're more oppressive when it comes to those things. I don't think in any Western country this will be actually easy or even uh, tried. Yes, the SEC uh, did, how we say in English, rattle the sabers a little bit in the last few weeks. But again, uh, I saw the last few days that uh, they backtracked again. I think it's too late. I think uh, there's enough smart people, even in government, that realize that it's smarter to do, yeah, keep some keep some safe harbor zones, regulate where it's necessary, but not closing the door on this innovation. It's a huge industry. I mean, it's a huge innovation. If we would close the door in the United States, I mean, then people go to Portugal, which they do anyway. People yeah. go to uh, to Berlin, people go to wherever. And that's not what the U.S. wants either. Their talent goes there and, and uh, innovation. In terms of innovation, what are for you like the, the key sectors that you're more excited about? Because I have um, a couple of questions here. One is when you were speaking about smart contracts, you were seeing, you were talking about the oracles, how they connect to, to reality. And the idea would be everything in blockchain. But in terms of energy consumption, that uh, that would probably be like a really environmental issue. And that has been spoken a lot, right? What, yeah. I'll, I'll just solve those issues. No, no. I mean, you're right. I mean, right now, with Bitcoin being the, the biggest chain and Ethereum the second biggest, and both are proof of work blockchains, the energy consumption is something that we just cannot accept. We could go here in an argument, which I want, that actually compared with the energy consumption of the visa and all the banks. Yeah, and renewable energies. And, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going there. Yeah. Where I'm going to is Ethereum is on the way, and I don't know what the timeline is, 12 months, 24 months, to actually change from proof of work to proof of stake, which is way more beneficial. So other chains, all the other chains, actually, most of them are already proof of stake chains. So the energy issue is actually... Almost, uh, almost solved for those change, whether it's a Solana or uh, the other L1 chains. So I'm, I'm actually pretty, uh, Max, pretty positive on, sorry on, to on that you, one. But could you please uh, explain this proof of stake concept and how it differs from the current one? Yeah, I can try. I'm not, I'm not technically <laughs> enough. I'm really probably butcher it, but I'll do it. So I mean, proof of work is, is what, uh, Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> but it's then wrong. I get, I get heat then for being not precise enough. But I'll do it anyway. So. In uh, Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper, Bitcoin white paper, he uh, there's a couple of innovations coming together, and one of them was the consensus algorithm. The the consensus algorithm being the 
the, the magic that you can agree on something without having that middleman that says that's the truth. So that many different actors can agree on the truth without actually having that middleman. And that's a, a consensus mechanism. And the consensus mechanism pro, uh, uh, proposed in this white paper was a proof of work where computers actually perform work. They compute. They, in layman terms, again, I'm a layman, they prove uh, they, they solve a riddle, a mathematical riddle. And with that, a blockchain becomes secure. Again, let, let's keep it on that level. The next, there's different other different ways of consensus mechanism, how to uh, arrive at that consensus. A, a, a proof of state consensus is where you don't arrive there by computational power or by computing and solving a riddle, but pretty much by staking, that's why proof of stake, staking an amount of tokens somewhere and then and using that to support the consistency or the validity of a transaction and of the blockchain. Again, I butchered it, but on a high level, it means you don't use, you don't, mm -hmm. don't compute anymore. So all those energy consumptions to, to do math are gone. You do it with proof of stake and on a very high level. One more interesting thing that you mentioned in the beginning is that concept of inclusion. It is global inclusion. Uh, like you said that when everything is on blockchain, it actually means that you don't have to actually uh, find the truth somewhere. Everyone can, uh, can trust anyone. To get an idea, let's get back to the smart contract. And maybe you could tell us about some new projects, some new maybe companies that use the smart, smart contract for some traditional things, uh, but they do that on blockchain. For example, yeah. I know that you can use like insurance right now, but maybe there are some more interesting projects that we don't know actually about, but they work and they're around us. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Where do I start? What, else, what is cool? There's a company that I really think is great. It's called Superfluid. And Superfluid, I'm excited about because what they do is they stream money on blockchain. It's somewhat related to that work that I did uh, uh, when I did a little detour to this on-demand pay, what I said, where employees could accelerate their wage with a click of a button and get their money on the 12th of the month instead of waiting till month end. What Superfluid does, and this is just one of the use cases, but what Superfluid enables is a constant stream of money. So if I have a subscription or my salary or rent, anything where you normally pay month end or once a year or whatever it is, what Superfluid enables is a permanent stream of value. Like every block, every few seconds, every few minutes, depending on your blockchain, I get a portion of it. So instead of getting all my money end of the month, as an example for wages, I get every few seconds a little piece of it that accumulates them. I think that's pretty amazing. Is it interesting for companies though? Because I think like when you when you were talking about your previous and current companies, you're talking about that one of the issues companies have is suppliers pay like or clients pay in 30, 60, 90 days and they have all the issues of financing. So am I interested as a company to pay to my employee day by day, because in the end, I will need more working capital. It's a good point, right? I don't think it's for every use case. In that particular case, uh, that there was our big our big theme when we build Earned, I think it will become, in this, this HR or this payroll play, I think it will become something to attract talent. Yes, companies from working capital perspective, David, uh, rightfully are not interested to pay early on, earlier than necessary. But I mean, there's two solutions for that. There are two answers to that. The first one is they do it because they attract talent. And if we're honest, again, COVID changed a lot, that the fight for good talent and having great working conditions and having access to my salary is one of them, uh, is a driver for on-demand pay. On-demand paying is like growing like crazy in the traditional world. And the second one is, and that's again where the money Legos come together, the money Legos on blockchain, where you combine different protocols. The, the money doesn't have necessarily have to come from the company. You could think about that maybe someone finances that on behalf of the company. So the salary is not paid directly from the company, but the stream yeah. is done by something like a bank. Hopefully not a bank anymore, but something like a bank that, that finances that on behalf for a small fee, but then the salary streams directly from this finance protocol to the employee. And then the, the employer pays back at month end as, he, as he's used to uh, do it. So I think there's, and you can combine those money blocks, those Lego blocks on blockchain together of decentralized finance. Why making separate companies for the the company side? And that, isn't this a business that would make sense to have everything on the same platform for both the companies financing that their value chain and the employees on the same? 
Why, why I'm not sure it does. Well, it's, I mean, first of all, I mean, it's not different companies, it's protocols, right? So okay. it's, it's one protocol that does the lending, one protocol that does uh, a generic uh, streaming of value, and then you plug them together as you like and create a new feature protocol, however you want to call it. I, I think it's just stronger than, uh, than, than having something like a single point of failure, one company that does everything and nothing right. I, I think those yeah. days are over. I think it's, it's we, we see it already in, in traditional software where things are unbundled. Like really a bank is unbundled into 200 different features and then rebundled together. And we just do the same thing, the, the unbundling and rebundling on chain, but in an open source way. Open source, accessible for everybody. Just use it, do it, build it together, plug it together. It's pretty fascinating. There, there's something very interesting that I'm going to take a little bit a twist on your on your on your answer. You were speaking about talent and the way to attract talent, how hard it is for people that want to enter. They think blockchain is a future, crypto is a future, all these things. How do you recommend that they go about entering the space? What are the yeah. skills that you think they are relevant? What should they study? How should they prepare? Like, what do you think, like, we, a lot of our audience, we have a lot of students as well from business schools and everyone wants to get into, like, the hot thing right now. How do you think, what's the right preparation to get into this type of area? Look, if you're, let's start with non-technical. If you're non-technical, take a little bit of, of, buy a little bit of ETH and just play around, right? Or go to a side chain where, where it's not expensive and just play around. Buy some ETH. Uh, go to Aave, go to Compound, create a vault on Maker, do those things and, and just learn how, how, how awesome it is to uh, invest in certain things and to, to use those, those blocks. Check out some NFTs. It's an easy one. It's an easy digestible one. Check out some NFTs, what's around there. Buy one. Um, don't mint gas prices are too expensive. <laughs> I think for business people, that's, that's certainly one way to, to, to get into the, into the space. There's right now in Lisbon, uh, this weekend actually, there is the the ETH Lisbon, which is the, the biggest uh, Ethereum conference, and it happens right now in, in, in Lisbon. So if I want to get into crypto, I'm at that conference. I talk to people. I see the presentations. That is, they're, they're all over the world, uh, those, those conferences, which, which are, and there's events, uh, which, which is awesome. And if you're technical, look, what I did the last two weeks, because I was sick being old uh, and no longer considered technical. So I taught myself Solidity, which is the, the smart contract language of uh, Ethereum. So I was just downloading a, a cloud, and just buying a class for 20 bucks on Udemy and just spent two weeks now teaching myself Solidity. And if I can do it, I think everybody can do it with a little bit of technical background or a little bit of curiosity. And then, yeah, you can actually then build your own Lego blocks or uh, stitch other Lego blocks together. So yeah, I think it's it's very doable and it's very very easy to get into the space. When I started, when was it? Let's say 2016, and then 2017 we created at Centrifuge. There wasn't a, wasn't a lot of knowledge, so I got everything out of block and I was up to speed. There's really great resources these days. There's really no excuse not to to learn if you want to get in that space. Well. That must be a growing industry, like more and more people are getting engaged with crypto. But does it actually mean this network will need more labor, more developers working on that technical stuff? Or it can be it or can it just work on I don't know this this network of computers? But I think developers are really necessary for that industry. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I mean, I'm not an expert on AI. There's, there's theories that AI will, 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 will uh, at one point uh, handle the coding as well. I don't know about that. I just don't know. But personally, I think developers is always a, it was always for the last 15, 20 years a scarce resource, and it always will be. Uh, and it just got worse from a scarcity perspective in crypto. So I mean, if you wanna wanna if if you're keen on coding, if you're a programmer, if you're a developer, if you're an engineer, I think there's a beautiful future in crypto. But there's other other jobs needed as well. I mean, many of the companies are really growing fast and big. There's non-technical roles needed from uh, community managers. Uh, some of the companies need to market as well. and need to get the word out. Uh, you need to sell your product. I mean, very traditional things, th those protocols or foundations are needing, uh, need. So yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of job opportunity. In the end, I think it's a little bit like one. I remember like when the whole web started and everything. 
like when it became more commercial and at the beginning was like more for developers and everything. And now it's just a tool that business people mm -hmm. use. Whatever you want to create, right. it's just like a commodity. So as, as it gets more and more common, I think like also you'll have the solution. Still, it's still like just, um, just getting... Uh, I don't know, from cold wallets to all these different, just getting money into from banks into converting it. And then you can't buy on all the exchanges. The whole thing Thanks. is still like such a mess. It's like a Frankenstein right now. I think you'll have to have, you have to have a lot of passion it to, is. to develop. It's still, I think we are still on like stage 0.5. Maybe are not still at version 1.0. And I remember, I remember being 2017 in Davos and there was like uh, crypto headquarters and it was at the time of like Cambridge Analytica and all these things were going on at the same time and pre-correlated actually in terms of the people involved. And everyone was just like crazy, like speaking, this is it, this is it. And I remember being at DLD in Munich and I think it was Vitaly from Ethereum saying, no, we're getting into like this crypto winter then like a few winners will come out and and it's funny because if you look at You're the right. adoption yeah if you look at the adoption it's been like very much like a lot of other uh, a lot of other technologies now one thing i'm particularly i think and i think it's a, a, a one of the biggest challenges for the next few years that we are going to have is cybersecurity uh, like we are seeing like all these attacks and yeah. uh what what's your take on it? Where are we? Where do we have to be? Quantum computing eventually will be a reality as well. That makes like current encryption like useless in some cases. Um, and so it, on two questions, where do you think cybersecurity is going in, in the space? And the second one is you as an investor and playing around, how can people be more secure of their investments? Yeah, I mean, Let's start with the second one. Let's start with the second one. I mean, not, not, not recommending any particular names, but if you start in the space and you have a little, just invest a little money, yeah, you use, you use self-custody, maybe do it in MetaMask. But as soon as, soon as you reasonable amounts of money come in or you're a serious investor, well, you want to do custody. Yeah, you want to actually go away from decentralization and go back to a trusted custody provider to a trusted middleman, if you want, that handles the crypto for you. A custody provider, and there's many out there, Anchorage, uh, Finoa, uh, BitGo, that do that for you for a fee. So you can be pretty confident. So you don't have to worry about um, private keys and losing them. It's a username and a password. And if you forget your password, well, you reset your password. Like good old-fashioned Web2 or, or traditional finance style, but that's how you get exposure to uh, or not exposure, but access to crypto in a, in a in a secure way. And then when you're more confident, maybe uh, uh, you decide that self-custody is for you. But probably as an institutional investor or a newbie, you want to be a little bit more on the safe side. Maybe you start with something like Coinbase um, and, and just buy your, your ETH there and leave your, coin, uh, your, your Bitcoin there for the beginning. Because it's simple, because it's easy, because you don't mess up. So yeah. And in terms of cybersecurity, I mean, one thing about crypto is it's incredibly transparent. So the one thing we always see is like uh, 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 about money laundering or uh, um, a, a, a crime, a, a criminal transaction on blockchain. I just heard a, a podcast today, the statistic is like 0.3%. What is the number of all transactions are like considered criminal or fishy on, on blockchain, which seemingly is way less than in fiat. So oh, yeah, e-commerce. Uh, I think one of the reasons is pretty clear. Yeah. E-commerce, sorry, to give you an idea, uh, sorry to interrupt, there's this little no, no, please. Uh, but e-commerce, for instance, like most industries, having like one one to even like sometimes like 4% of fraud is common. It's like it's part of the business. You deal with it like 1% yeah. in most industries. It's like oh, we get 1%, we are good. So I think there's just, um, yeah. it's how, how mediatic it becomes. Like banks, I've seen... I've seen like hackers getting into banks and some of the largest banks in the world and making transfers within five minutes. So yeah, it's just like in most banks, the truth is that yeah. they don't even publicize when they get attacked. There's yeah. also a lot of mediatic attention when it happens on crypto. That's right. Yeah, it happens on crypto and it's, it's a, meet, uh, a scandal and a proof point that crypto is not working. Do we have to do work on crypto? Do we have to make it more bulletproof? Yes. But then, I mean, the beauty again of crypto is that for the most parts, again, not a complete answer, but for the most parts, 
it's fully transparent. So if I get screwed over uh, somehow, uh, if I get uh, there's fraud, actually it's it's traceable. Like we always say, like this tax evasion, blah blah blah. And now, I mean, for for governments, it's one of the most beautiful things to see actually on chain exactly what transactions happen. So yeah, work needs to be done. I'm not an expert on cybersecurity, but I don't think it's worse than introducing software environments. Well, I think this thought is, is finished. We were talking about more and more projects becoming popular. Yeah. And I think there are like at least at least 100 tokens issued every day by any people that have access to Ethereum and Selenium language. I thought about Bitcoin and its further development. Like we saw this switch of interest from Bitcoin to Ethereum like previous year. What do you think is going to happen to Bitcoin? Uh, is it going to hit 100k like people saying or is it going to be back like in the shadow of Ethereum or maybe Polka or Solana? What are your thoughts? I think it's two different, this is completely different use cases, right? I mean, Bitcoin is a store of value. Yeah. Yes, it was conceived potentially in the white paper uh, as, a, as a, a mechanism for payments, which it turned out it's as, as, at its core, it's not, although there's the Lightning Network that enables that quite beautifully, uh, now possible on Twitter to pay in Bitcoins through the Lightning Network. So we get to the original thought process, to the original use case back. So I, I think Bitcoin as a store of value, as the, the digital gold, um, is 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 a use case that won't go away and grow further. Do I know whether it hit hundred thousand this year or next year or in three years? I don't know. And am I convinced it will at one point? Yeah. Absolutely, yes. ETH is a is a computing platform or Ethereum. It's a completely different use case. Yes, it has a currency as well, ETH, but the, the use case is computation. And, and there. There are initiatives on Bitcoin as well to make it a, a smart contract platform, but let's park it for a moment. So that's why there's a, a coexistence of those two and many other platforms is, is perfectly possible and reasonable for, for, for that. There's there's special purpose blockchains for NFTs now, the Flow blockchain and many others. Um, so yeah, and I just see a little bit that that could be the future, multiple blockchains for multiple purposes. And, and Ethereum is a multi-purpose smart contract blockchain. So the competitor would be Solana. Is there a place for Solana and, and Ethereum and five others? That one, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. What do you think it's okay. not for? Because I've seen a couple of usages. Like um, I've seen like, uh, I remember, especially like maybe like a few years ago, maybe two, three years ago, at a certain point, I was working with a couple of large insurance companies and they were all excited. Hey, we are doing this on blockchain and we are doing this. And I was like, why can't you do that? Not even on SQL. Like you can't do that on exactly. Excel. It's okay. like, why do we want like why do I want my weight or my oxygen levels on the blockchain no. for the next 20 years? Like it's like, no, because it stays there. It's it's incorruptible and you can confirm that it's authentic. It's like, I don't care. It's just like it's just like data because I think sometimes you are going a lot into that is so important and it's a new goal. And I do completely see it, but sometimes it's a little bit too much, especially like I, I don't back up like these things, like no, what, look, what mean, it's not assume, for. Yeah, look, a, there's a lot of corporate use cases where it's not yet ready. Maybe it is in the future, but where because public blockchains don't work, they're too expensive, too slow, privacy not a then many companies, for its banks, combination went into consortia blockchains. So they don't use Ethereum or, or any other blockchain. They built their own blockchain, a permissioned one, a private blockchain. And as soon as someone does that, I assure you it's not a use case for blockchain. They could have done it 100% on an SQL database like in the good old days. So there's, that's for me an indicator. If someone builds something on a permissioned or this consortia blockchains, it doesn't need a blockchain. Just do it on a... Do it on a, a traditional uh, SQL or NoSQL or whatever you want. Okay, and tell me something. If you were, if we were recording this episode, let's say five years from now, what do you think would have changed on the way we are talking about it? How do you envision like that we would be talking about crypto and blockchain five years from now? It's funny, right? I mean, think about it. If, if five. Years ago, I wasn't even in crypto. <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, 2016 just just started. So, so much changed. I mean, 
it's it's virtually impossible for for anyone to predict where where we've been five years. If I, I mean, I, I predict maybe I, I I announce a wish here. I, I truly think and hope that institutional capital will fully be in crypto, so that there's just not even a doubt. I can invest. I can I can the money flows uh, uh, seamlessly, and that the majority of payment and payment pipes or financial rails in general, not only payments, but as well the stock markets and everything will be built on public blockchain technology, crypto technology. I think that is that is one thing that I can see clearly happening before our eyes. So I'm pretty excited about that. We will be super surprised by everything that happens right now in terms of metaverse, where virtual reality meets crypto, meets non-fungible tokens, which sounds like a corner toy, uh, but that's how it always. Yeah, tomorrow we're actually recording an episode on the multiverse. Okay, I really think okay, I've been very fascinated with VR and AR, and I I think there's definitely something coming. I think it's been coming for a long time, but I think all these things uh, they cross together. Actually, one thing we we usually do in class is how do these all trends come together? Like how how do you come up with like real estate and crypto? and remote work and even like technologies like CRISPR. How do all these technologies, because usually you have things in silos and society yeah, plays and as at a whole. one point there's overlap and that's that's when the beauty happens actually, when, when you come together. Like in, in the metaverse, when you then, you have VR and then you, you the payment of the metaverse is a token or then your NFTs are actually the building blocks, my my armor, my shield, my avatar, whatever it is. I mean, that, it comes together. And that's, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I mean, we were one thinking- of the things, and you probably talk about it tomorrow, I don't have to mention it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. go ahead, sorry. Yeah, there's like, Renat, you asked about like use cases or, or work in crypto. There's more than a million people in the world, mostly in the Philippines or in Southeast Asia, that play a game called Axie Infinity. One million people yeah, and they earn their money by playing that game. They make 50 bucks a day or 20 bucks, I don't know what the number is. One, more than one million people. Isn't that amazing? That just that, That's game cha- life-changing for those people. Playing a game, making money, and yeah, having their life change. It's pretty amazing. It makes me super happy. I remember I was like 16 in Portugal at uh, like long time ago, and I was uh, I was actually the TV show host for a show on video games. And one of the things okay. I came up with, and I went to pitch on uh, a couple of companies to sponsor, was like a video game competition. Like if it was like esports, we're talking about yeah. over 20 years ago, and everyone told me I was insane. And yeah, right. it was like, how come? And now it's like all these massive things. And I think with virtual reality, it's one, especially if you go like into technologies like Oculus, Quest, I think it's already there. Like um, it's already there and it's already, in terms of price of the device, it's still a little clunky, but I think it will come very soon, especially having large companies like Facebook and Apple behind it. I think, um, I think things will move uh, quickly. Now, and now let's let's do a little twist. One of the things we go in class over and we do a couple of like kind of crazy exercises is, well, you can't really change the world if you don't start by yourself. So you seem to be very um, familiar with change. So I have a couple of questions. The Please. first one is, how do you make change happen? In the companies you create and you're going into new markets, What's your approach to change? And the other thing is, if the same question I asked you about five years from now, we would be talking, uh, what we would talk about crypto, the question is about yourself. Where do you see, I'm assuming that you're, you're pretty well off and if everything goes well, you'll be even better off financially. So your biggest drive will probably not be uh, financial. Like where do you see, how do you go about change? How do you go about changing yourself and where do you see yourself different from five years from now? What are you working on personally? Gotcha. Okay. Look, I don't, I don't know what my, my, my recipe is, why, why, how I get things done or change enabled as you ask. I think one of the, one of the things that people say about me that as a, as a founder, as a leader or whatever you want to call me, that they like is my passion and my ability to get people excited. 
So I, I, I think if I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the topic, if I'm excited about crypto, if I'm excited about paying an employee early, if I'm excited about climate change and I decide this is something we should go after, can be pretty contagious, I think. So I don't know if this is my strategy for, for change or you can call it a strategy, but that's the only thing I have. I can get people excited. And I'm not talking here about just talking bullshit. Uh, no, I mean, seriously excited with my concepts, ideas, and bring the right people together to solve a problem. That's and how I do it. I don't know. It's just I learned it over the years. And uh, I'm pretty good in that. And I know that. And I like it. What's for me, I'm actually uh, that, I mean, I'm looking right now for is, is my future as an advisor to many companies. I do that for, for a few. Is it as an investor? I'm not sure I'm rich enough to be an impactful investor. So uh, that uh, I would probably have to raise a fund to, 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 uh, to make an impact. Or my question, my, what, I'm, what I'm carrying around with me, do I have another project company in me? And I'm actually looking into many of the concepts we discussed. Is it at the intersection of, uh, of climate and crypto, which I think is pretty exciting. So incentive mechanisms for companies to do certain things. And when the word incentive comes up, it always is a, for me a crypto play. Do I go back to the area where I did the last 20 years in payments or payment terms? Is there something that I need to do to make it real that people get uh, and, and, and companies get paid earlier on a more global scale? Do I think about uh, doing something in the metaverse, which is equally to use there? I mean, 20 years ago or even longer, I got that VR bug and always want to do something in that space. Is that something... I don't know. It's not those three things, but all the three have one thing in common. I think there's a crypto angle that needs to be part of it. Max, thank you so much for your time. This was an amazing conversation. Would love to continue it in a, in a future episode to see how things are going, how your companies are going, how you keep changing. And uh, I hope to have the chance to meet you in person soon. It would be great. Thank you so much, David. Thanks. Renat. Renat. was awesome. Thank you. Renat, yeah, thank, thank you, you so much David. as well. We are a new podcast and would really like your support. So if you enjoyed this show, please help us out and share it with your friends. Next week, we'll be back with another LeadSex episode where we discuss about a very unknown and taboo sector ready to be disrupted, the death and funeral business. See you then. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. You may reach out to us for commenting, giving suggestions, or just say hi by email x at leadsadventures.com, Twitter and Instagram at leadsadventures, and LinkedIn, leadsadventures. Leads is L-I-T-S and stands for Life is Too Short. LeadSex podcast is a result of the teamwork between Beatrice Schoza, Janos Geyer, Lydian Marie Friedrich, Sigurd Koltz, and David Bernardo Santo. Please remember that more than providing answers, LeadSex podcast aims to raise awareness and questions about topics that are becoming relevant and discussed in society. The podcast reflects the personal views of each of its participants and not any institutions. It's not in any way meant to give investment, health, medical, or any other type of advice. Many of the topics addressed are still not fully tested, confirmed, or approved, so please question everything you hear and exercise extreme caution.